What's going on, everybody? Thanks to the NBA, we are rebroadcasting all my episodes of the NBA Virtual Roundtable. And on this week's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to former NBA player Jeremy Lin, also former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, and a good friend of mine, uh, Vanita Gupta. Make sure y'all tune in to this episode. This is very special. We talk about all things from all different walks of life. We just really tried to move the needle in the discussion on social change. Subscribe to the Tough News Podcast on Apple, Stitcher, and my YouTube page, or wherever you get your pods. I believe every Asian American has experienced at least dirty looks because people associate us with the virus. Some people were legitimately not going to the grocery store because they were scared. You cannot show discrimination for a virus that doesn't discriminate. None of us can be bystanders to this. We have to be able to speak up. The coronavirus crisis can either tear us apart or help bring us together and make us stronger. Hi everybody, this is Karan Butler and I'd like to welcome you to the NBA Together Virtual Roundtable. The NBA family is continuing the discussion of real issues and the impact of this pandemic on communities of color. Now, over the last few months, we've seen a troubling rise in discrimination and acts of violence targeting Asian Americans. Now, today we'll dive deep into this issue on how we got here, and most importantly, what we can do to help. Now, today I'm honored to be joined by Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity, who played nine seasons in the NBA and is now with the CBA's Beijing Ducks. Vanita Gupta, President and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. And finally, please welcome Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate and founder of Humanity Forward. Andrew, let me start with you. We've all seen the headlines about the rise in anti-Asian racism, discrimination, and acts of violence. But help us understand what's going on and what the Asian American community is going through. Well, thank you, Karan. It's a heartbreaking time uh, for all Americans during this pandemic, but Asian Americans have experienced hundreds, even thousands of assaults, beatings, uh, spitting, stabbing uh, around the country. And I believe every Asian American has experienced at least dirty looks uh, or people shying away from them in public because people associate us with the virus. And it's human nature to look for scapegoats in a time of crisis where if your life has been upended, we've lost tens of millions of jobs, tens of thousands of lives. Uh, people are all anxious about the future. But unfortunately, Asian Americans are being unfairly associated with and blamed for this virus. It's been made worse by the fact that some political figures have even associated uh, this virus with Chinese people. Uh, and we have to say, look, we're all in this together. This virus knows no race. We should not make things worse by adding racism towards Asian Americans into the mix. Uh, that we have to say, look, Chinese people have nothing to do with uh, this virus when we run into them in everyday life, in the grocery store. Asian Americans are just as concerned about the future as you are. They're trapped in their homes, just like you are. Uh, and the goal is to say, look, we're all Americans, we're all human beings, we're all in this together. But unfortunately, Asian Americans, many of, of, of many of the people in our community are afraid to leave their homes right now. Uh, and this has to stop. This is what we're going to hopefully shed some light on today and bring people together on. 
Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, in a lot of ways, the anti-Asian hate that we are seeing right now isn't new. And I think it's important always to look at history to give us some sense of perspective. But the country's two first immigration laws back in 1875 and then 1882 actually were explicitly designed to bar Chinese American workers from entering the country because of widespread xenophobia and concerns about workplace competition. And those didn't get lifted for decades. Um, and then in World War II, when the Japanese Americans were interned in camps all over the country, blamed for the decisions of the Japanese government um, in Pearl Harbor. Then after 9-11, after the horrific attacks on 9-11, there were widespread um, increases not only in assaults, but also murders of South Asians and Muslims and Arab Americans and Sikhs around the country, um, you know, that that resulted in real kind of real fear and um, and injury and harm. So this kind of thing is something that we have been plagued with when there are moments of national crisis. Um, unfortunately, the scapegoating can be too easy of an answer. But the way that we've always achieved and gotten out of it is because people of good conscience of all backgrounds have kind of stood up in solidarity to protect the American ideals of inclusion, to protect vulnerable communities, and to say, no, this isn't what we're about, and we're not going to stand for it, and we're going to make sure that we protect each other. Uh, it's crazy to me is because, you know, you cannot show discrimination for a virus that doesn't discriminate. And I think that what you, you touched on, Andrew, is that we all are being impacted and affected by this virus, no matter what color you are and you made valid points. And Jeremy, my next question will be for you. You know, you've been open about your experiences with discrimination growing up and doing your career. Tell us about your perspective on these issues. Yeah, when uh, COVID really got worse, uh, especially in California where I was at, I was in California. And so um, the looks and the, the glares and stuff like that, I, I definitely, understand that because I was in the grocery store and I always get in the groceries but really like to me in the past I've always dealt with stuff that wasn't as big of a deal it was you know having to prove myself as a basketball player or people saying stuff verbal you know verbal attacks really but um going to the grocery store and also being around a lot of my other Asian American friends like some people were legitimately not going to the grocery store because they were scared um or not putting on a mask because they were scared of uh, physically being attacked. And that's just a whole different ball game. Um, and that's not something that I've experienced or can speak on. Um, but I know that it, uh, like, it hits home seeing just how many Asian Americans are affected by it right now. And so uh, for me, that was something that I just kind of felt like I had to come out and say something, uh, to, you know, to not feel welcome or to not feel safe uh, physically is just a, a different level. And so that's something that I really wanted to make sure I took a stance on. That's powerful, brother. And Vanita, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights is a coalition of 200 organizations working together to protect the rights of not just one specific group, but all people. Now, sadly, a lot of these dynamics are not new to none of us. And help us put the recent rise in anti-Asian discrimination and hate crimes in the context of history. Yeah, look, the United States has, since its founding um, with slavery and Jim Crow and through, has had a 
uh, problem fighting hate and discrimination. And in a lot of ways throughout our history, hate crimes have really been the original acts of domestic terrorism with lynchings and assaults. Uh, a lot of us have been thinking a lot about Ahmad Arbery's family, a very recent and horrible um, hate crime. And so when we're thinking about this thing around the pandemic, and um, yeah, Andrew's totally right that in moments of crisis, we want to scapegoat when we are, are we're suffering as a community or as a society, we look for people to blame. And right now we are documenting, and the FBI has been documenting that white supremacists are trying to weaponize the coronavirus, really using fear to support their racist and xenophobic goals. And it isn't just fear because the FBI has got you know, a lag on the data that they can report, but on April 20th, the FBI director, Chris Ray, sent a letter to state and local law enforcement officials stating that the FBI is really concerned about the potential for hate crimes by individuals and groups that are targeting minority populations in the United States right now who believe who they believe are responsible for spread of the virus. And we have seen on March 14th, just for example, a man viciously attacked an Asian American family, including a two-year-old and a six-year-old at a Sam's Club in Texas. It was designated as a hate crime by the FBI. And the defendant in that case confessed that he actually attempted to murder the Asian American family members because he thought that that family was Chinese and was infecting people with coronavirus. Um, another incident, just to put, make this real for folks at home, is uh, at the beginning of April, an Asian American woman was taking out her garbage in Brooklyn, New York, when a man ran by her and threw acid on her face, resulting in chemical burns um, on her face and body. And the police are investigating the attack and they're looking at, um, at all of the various motivations um, because she was Asian at a time when um, the kind of level of fear and stereotyping uh, for Asian Americans has been so high. The list is long about the spike in hate. Uh, but we have to understand that what's happening right now is against a backdrop of a much longer and broader history of fighting discrimination, hate, bullying, um, and, and the like. And, you know, there's a lot of work that all of us have to do to make sure that when we see that kind of thing, that we put a stop to it uh, and that we aren't kind of innocent bystanders, but that we're actually actively uh, trying to fight back and making sure that everyone in this country feels protected when we're all totally vulnerable to the virus. Lenita, that's an excellent point, and you made a ton of excellent points in the midst of that discussion. And I would like to say, you know, to the panel, uh, everyone, how are these acts of discrimination and violence handled legally? Because, like, I can't completely put my faith into the system or justice will be served. So how should it be handled? How is it being handled? Like, right now, you brought up the brother Aubrey where he was, you know, gunned down in Atlanta. And it took, I think, about two months for the assailants that did the crime to initially be uh, apprehended. Now tried, and, you know, who knows if justice will be served in that situation. But how are these acts handled on a legal scale? Uh, and it, sorry, go, go ahead. And, you know, it, it certainly felt like it was due to public pressure that those arrests were even made, Quran. Like it, it felt like he was uh, killed for running while black uh, and his uh, killers were roaming free weeks later. And it was only because it became a national uh, controversy that they got arrested. So, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful that at least it's happening now. But the, the 
work that organizations are doing to document Asian American uh, anti-Asian violence is a start. We all know that whatever we can document is just the tip of the iceberg because <laughs> things are happening out there uh, in the country every day and like no one's bothering to, re to report them. Um, but the, the positive thing is that the FBI is designating uh, documented assaults as hate crimes, uh, that the, uh, the person who stabbed the family in Texas is being uh, tried for a hate crime. And so the, the, the legal designation as a hate crime is one step Quran. Um, and then the FBI documenting them and then following up uh, on any organized efforts would be the other very big legal hurdle uh, for the government. But the truth is, to your point, Karan, like a lot of this stuff is happening in a way that it's not uh, something that uh, police are going to be able to prevent ahead of time. Um, and we can't trust necessarily that it, it's all going to be in the hands of law enforcement. We, in the sense that we have to try and come together and bring people together and stop the hate and not say, hey, if the FBI classifies these things as hate crimes, then we'll be in good shape. Yeah, and I, I just want to add, I mean, I think um, just on the uh, Ahmad Arbery uh, running wall block, horrific, horrific incident. I mean, it wasn't just the outrage. The outrage started because a video was found. And but for that video, I don't think any of us would know that young man's name. There wouldn't be an arrest. There wouldn't have been the level of outrage. It was took 74 days uh, between the crime and uh, when uh, the two men were arrested. And, you know, I guess, you know, as you said, justice, it remains to be seen whether justice will actually be done. And so it's really important right now that, um, as Andrew said, it's not just law enforcement. Law enforcement tends to get involved kind of after really bad things have happened. We need our schools and our, you know, and right now we, our kids aren't in school. Uh, they're doing this remote learning, but we need to be making sure that we're talking to our kids, that schools are uh, putting forth a set of values around justice and inclusion and making sure that kids feel safe to report bullying. A lot of hate crimes are perpetrated by, uh, by people who were actually bullies when they were growing up and who bully people on racial, on racial terms when they're growing up. We know a lot of reports of um, school-age kids when school was still ongoing um, who Asian American kids who were getting, uh, you know, teased and bullied and much worse in school around kind of the initial weeks of the coronavirus. But there are, there's also nonprofit organizations in every part of the country, sometimes communities right now, especially immigrant communities that are already feeling under siege by the level of anti-immigrant rhetoric in this country. They're feeling afraid to report anything to law enforcement. Um, and so they may feel more willing and safe to report to local leaders, whether it's church leaders or uh, business leaders or community leaders that may be running organizations to report things to um, to those organizations. And, and then, you know, um, they can be a bridge to law enforcement. But there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's a role for all of us to play, as I said. I think none of us can be bystanders to this. We have to be able to speak up and speak up safely when this stuff happens. We do want people to call 911 or we want people to be able to feel safe to do that when bad things happen. But we know that there's a vast underreporting long before COVID. Uh, you know, these are some of the most vulnerable communities in the country. And people don't report hate um, the way that they should. But this is why it's on all of us right now to kind of build the country that we want. 
We cannot wait any longer. Now is the time to reimagine what safety means. Join the leaders as well as activists, artists, and policymakers on February 19th, 12 noon Eastern time for the Vision of Justice Virtual Summit. The summit is open to the public and serves as our opportunity to reunite the community dedicated to re-envisioning a new future and safety in America. One that invests in community, not in criminalization and incarceration to keep people safe. Join the vision of justice community and hold our leaders accountable. When? February 19th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Register for free at www.visionforjusticeevents.com. What do you say to the, the fans out there that's going to see this visually and listen to the words to try to get more informed and immediately see racism and feel like this discussion or this topic isn't for them or isn't important right now? And my message would be that if you're tired of hearing about racism, imagine the individuals that's actually being discriminated against and actually going through the racism. What would your message be to the viewers and listeners that see racism and immediately feel like they shouldn't listen to this? You know, I kind of wrote a little bit, I wrote the article in Players Tribune that really talked about how even with COVID, it didn't become real until like I was in the actual lockdown and I had my teammates going through it, but I, I had left and went back to California. And so while they were in 21, 21 day uh, lockdown and, and quarantine and couldn't leave, it was just kind of, it didn't mean that much to me. But then when it actually hit me, that's when like it really, really opened my eyes. And that's when I was like, oh, I need to do something different. I need to, you know, and that's why I started the Be The Light campaign. And for me, like that would be my kind of warning to everybody else is like, don't like kind of don't wait until it's too late or it's too real to actually like get educated about it. Um, and I think... Again, everything kind of comes down to taking a little bit of time to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, um, even like seeing and reading. That's why I think something that's really important is reading firsthand accounts of some of the frontline workers and things like that, because it's like it's easy to kind of disassociate yourself when you're reading it through your screen. And, and it's easy to kind of just gloss over where it's like, oh, it's pop, constantly popping up as a headline. And you're just like, oh, well, I'll forget about it. Um, or it's kind of getting annoying. I don't want to keep reading about it. But to actually spend it all all it would take is like 10 seconds to really at least try to put yourself in the position of somebody who is dealing with racism or somebody who is legitimately contemplating whether to go to the grocery store to get food for themselves or to not because they're afraid of being attacked um like or even the people that are actually being attacked or the families of people that have been attacked and uh, are not able to see justice. I mean, these are all things that like don't really become real until you um, either put yourself in that person's shoes or you actually experience it. And so one thing that I would really encourage people to do too is just to find one small way to like promote unity. Um, and sometimes the best thing you could do is to just like, and I say this to young people, you know, and I've been saying this recently, is just, don't post that hateful comment uh, or don't be a troll or just take a second to really think about what you're saying or what you're doing. Or even if you know somebody who's acting ignorant, like it's okay for you to call them out. Like all these things are just small steps in the right direction. And, and I think like we're not asking everyone to do something amazing or to start a campaign or to donate a million dollars. It actually really, it's just 
you could just start with something small. It could even just be reading an article or something and, and getting a little bit more educated. Hey, Jeremy, I would have to say that was a, a powerful piece that you written in the Players' Tribune. And I also would like to say to you, was it any sense of nervousness going through that process of telling your observation from your perspective and telling your truth? Yeah, I, <laughs> even in the comments, I kind of went back and forth. I wrote in the comments. I was like, man, I don't know if I want to tell the story. What do you guys think? Uh, but I think one thing that I've always really held true to is just as much as I can to like be real and be open. Cause I think for me, one of the things I struggle with is that like people uh, sometimes build me up based on my story to be a little bit more uh, clean cut or perfect. And I'm not like, I'm not that I went to Harvard. I'm a student athlete, whatever. But like sometimes if people <laughs> draw extra other comparisons or like they, they may add onto the, uh, the aura of the story. And so in that situation, I was like, man, the best thing I could do is be real. Um, and, and to admit like my own shortcomings and hopefully that like, if I could at least encourage other people not to make the same mistake, then I think that would be a successful use of my platform. So I guess sometimes it's not always like about the pretty side of things. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, something that I've kind of come to understand more through failing as a basketball player and being failing, as you understand, failing at a, a global level and on a, on a global stage where everyone can, you can be a highlight that can be tossed around on, uh, on Instagram or on social media, um, kind of going through that has allowed me to be more comfortable with it. But I definitely did second guess myself. <laughs> well, Jeremy, I just want to echo Karan. Your, your article was awesome. Uh, and you've been a tremendous role model to Asian Americans and all Americans. And I felt like you're uh, stepping up and sharing your experience and then donating a uh, a million dollars to COVID relief. I mean, that, that was phenomenal. Uh, and that, that, I know you're right. It's like not everyone can do that, but the fact that you can and you're doing it uh, really spoke volumes to many, many people. And what, what Karan said about why someone should care about this, the coronavirus crisis can either tear us apart or help bring us together and make us stronger. Uh, and it's not gonna be easy to have it bring us together because you can sense that we're starting to fray uh, in all sorts of ways, economically, socially, uh, obviously the public health catastrophe that's already killed tens of thousands of Americans and, and uh, you know, including members of the NBA family. Uh, so we're all struggling with this in different ways. But the last thing we need is to compound that by turning on each other and have racism get worse in this country. Uh, when you talk about the impact on Asian Americans, one number that really like, broke my heart was that the proportion of Asian Americans that use the crisis text line, this is a line where you're trying to keep yourself from hurting yourself, went from 5% pre-crisis to 13% now. Think about that. That's a two and a half uh, times spike in the proportion of Asian Americans who are looking to hurt themselves. So when you think about uh, the mental health crisis around the country, uh, you know, like this coronavirus pandemic is now exacerbating uh, the mental health crisis among Asian Americans, among all Americans. This is exactly what we need to try and combat as a people. So racism affects everyone in different ways. You know, uh, obviously, you know, like the racism that different groups feel is very, very distinct. Like we don't all have the same experiences, but we can all agree that no one 
should feel afraid to leave their home or afraid to run in their neighborhood or afraid to seek medical attention because of their race. That is wrong. That's un-American. And that is what we're here together to help call attention to. So I believe this affects everyone uh, in the country, Karan. And, and I, have, I have to stay there with you, uh, Andrew, and just speak on, you know, you recently helped launch the campaign called All Americans. You know, and to your point, you know, to conf- confront and combat, you know, racism against Asian Americans. Tell us about that because myself, I know Jeremy is going to participate in that, that movement as well, but tell us the importance of having allies and how folks watching at home can take action. So me, Dave Chappelle, John Leguizamo, <laughs> Sophia Bush, Fat Joe, like all these people came together to launch uh, the All Americans campaign. It's just to point out the simple truth that we're all Americans, we're all in it together, doesn't matter what your race is, uh, and we're raising money for COVID relief. So if you go to allamericans.us, you can make a donation, get educated, buy some awesome designer gear, because we had to try and make it cool and, and, and fun and hip. <laughs> uh, and uh, every cent goes to helping people uh, who are in need right now. And then we're going to be doing PSAs with Jeremy, with the NBA, with more uh, leaders and cultural figures to help point out again that we're all in this together. We're all Americans, doesn't matter what color our skin uh, is, what our background is. We need to use this crisis as a time of unity and togetherness and oneness and not let it tear us apart. But I'm gonna name and take us into two other areas that I think are really important to show national unity on this year. This is 2020, and we know um, that this is a big year for our democracy. There is a national census going on right now in this country right now. And the census, people are like, what? What is she talking about? But the census is actually this once in a decade effort to count every single person that is in this country. And the reason why we should care and why every single one of us should take the five minutes it takes to fill out your census form, go to 2020census.gov to fill it out, is because that is how uh, uh, over $1.3 trillion of, mo- of federal dollars get allocated for healthcare, for schools, for roads, for, um, for political representation at the U.S. House of Representatives, for, the, for political representation at the state houses, is based on the census. And we need to make sure that no community is left behind because that'll impact uh, access to healthcare, access to education. So we need everyone to be counted. And so that is one way to show up. It's a national project. It is one that we should all be participating in. It's a sign of unity and love for our country. And then the second is, of course, the election. And no matter kind of who you want to vote for, making sure that you are registered to vote and showing up for your primaries and in November in the general election and voting for your values um, is going to be so incredibly important. I cannot remember an election that holds as much at stake for the future of our country as the November election. And so we've got to make sure that all of us are participating. It is what makes us uniquely American. Um, And there's a lot of stresses. COVID is placing a lot of challenges right now, both on the census and on uh, on elections. Leadership conferences working to get states to make sure there's vote by mail, that there's 
early online voting, um, early voting, I should say, early online registration. But these are some of the other ways that we can also fight hate. We've got to vote for our values and we have to be counted because the, the fate of our country and the unity in which it's, uh, it can rest really counts on it. Vanita, you made valid points and Andrew and Jeremy, I asked you guys this as well. What do you say to the listener and the viewer that say, you know what, I'm not voting this year, nothing's gonna change. Uh, the, the current office is gonna stay the same and the same things are gonna act and uh, gonna continue to happen. My vote don't really matter. What would you say to the listeners and viewers? Oh, what, what I would say, Karan, is that if you like the way things are going right now, then feel free to not vote. <laughs> but if you think that we need some real help and changes to our communities, uh, that we need to have uh, a government that's actually working for us, there is no way to make that happen without getting out there and voting. And like Vanita said, I mean, you can vote in many, many states just by mail. Like this is not like something where there's a, a risk involved. But if you don't vote, then you lose the ability to actually say, it's like, oh, things should be different. Because like, if you can't get out there and express your, uh, your opinion in this democracy, uh, then things won't change. Uh, you know, if you think what happened uh, to Ahmed Arbery, if you think what's happening around the country has real consequences for real American families every single day, there is no way out of this mess but to vote. So please do t register. You can't just show up day of in a lot of places. And in a lot of places, unfortunately, they made it a little bit hard for you. Uh, so you got to figure it out a little bit in advance. But we're giving you plenty of notice right now. It's May. <laughs> you don't have to vote for six months. Just figure out where your voting place is. Make sure you're registered and get out and vote this fall. How about yourself, Jeremy? Yeah, I would definitely echo that sentiment that Andrew just talked about. I mean, for me, it's... Um, a lot of it is just like number one it's the right thing to do um like again you can't guarantee that you're gonna get any type of result or you're gonna see exactly what you want to see right when you want to see it but it's the right thing to do and that's what you should be doing that's what everyone should be doing i um, mean and i think that's really important and on, and on top of that yeah i just think it's it's something that um like just to take a, a small step into educate yourself, this could be so important. Something for me is like, when I think about how I want to make change as, a, as an athlete, I could sit here and I could try to coach everybody one by one and I could try to make somebody better. But if I could actually do something that would impact a generation of players, like what, wouldn't I not want to, like wh why would I not want to do that? And so policy, um, things like that, being able to vote, these are things that are affecting like, tens, hundreds of millions of people. And these are ways that like, if you can't, if you're upset, kind of what Andrew was saying, if you're upset about what you see in the micro and you're upset about certain situations that you see in where you live and in your specific neighborhood and things like that, like you can try to battle it one case at a time, one person at a time, one situation at a time, or you can be a part of something that gets everybody to have their voices be heard. And this is a question for the panel and I hope that you all can chime in on it. You know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Andrew, you touched on quite a bit of the spike in, you know, mental health issues and depression and all those things in the Asian community. But can you just talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you can do to unplug and recharge and things that you can do to uh, stay healthy from a mental standpoint? Oh, 
Well, thank you, Karan. I'm really passionate about mental health. Uh, my brother is a psychology professor, uh, and we need to do much, much more to help people stay strong, particularly in this crisis. I talked about the surge in use of the crisis text line. Um, the usage has doubled across the board. So it's not just Asian Americans struggling, everyone's struggling more. Essentially, like, like the 100% increase, like population-wide. And then within that 100%, then Asian Americans two and a half times on top of the doubling. There's a lot of math there. You can ignore it. Just know that people are struggling right now. Uh, and we have to take care of ourselves first and foremost. You know, like if, if you're not strong and healthy, then you're not going to be able to help uh, other people. And it's actually a real exertion to take care of yourself in this time. So you should 100% unplug from your screens. If you can get any kind of uh, time outdoors, you should. Just a simple walk, very, very positive. Uh, reach out to people, even though, you know, it's like it, it's over FaceTime. Uh, exercise is enormous. Like if you can do anything in the way of exercise, I know you might not have some fancy home gym like maybe Kron does, I'm just guessing. <laughs> but, but just like if you can do any kind of exercise, get the blood pumping throughout the day, it, it's worth its weight in gold in terms of your mental health. Uh, so that this is a time when taking care of yourself is actually job one. Uh, and that's true for me. That's true for everyone uh, because it's a difficult time. It's a catastrophic time. You turn on the news. What do you see? Uh, you see news about uh, people who succumb to the virus. Uh, you, you're, you know, even this panel, I mean, you could look at it and say, you know, hey, racism, like, you know, that's like a dark um, topic, uh, but it's real. You know, just like this mental health crisis is very, very real. And the only way we can uplift ourselves during this time is to confront uh, how hard it is. Uh, but then say, you know what, we're going to get through this. There are amazing people out there uh, fighting for the health and, and lives of our uh, community members on the front lines. There are people doing beautiful things right now. Uh, but it starts with just taking care of yourself. Just make sure you get some offline time, try and get some outdoor time, reach out to people and get that blood pumping. This is like an NBA cares message. Like do some exercise. It'll uh, make you feel better almost immediately. Hey, Jeremy, what about yourself? What are you thinking that a lot of people should be doing in the midst of this pandemic for, you know, a mental health standpoint? Um, I mean, I'm you know, that's something that I'm not, I couldn't give any professional advice on, but it's something that, you know, for me, my faith has always been something that's really helpful to me. And so um, that's something that uh, I always go to every single day in, in terms of reading my Bible and praying and just trying to make sure that my faith is at a place where, and, and it helps to shape the way that I think about things. Um, other like small things that I think are really applicable is just finding ways to think about other people and love other people too. Um, and I think for me, I tend to be really self-centered about like my career, my goals, what I want to see happen. And I'm like, I can think literally all day about myself and what I want to accomplish and what I want to see. And sometimes, you know, spending time with other people or, or even just sending a quick message or calling somebody else. Like it's also kind of crazy. Like you're, you're like calling someone else to kind of take care of them, but then, actually you end up getting really refreshed too. Um, and, and you find different ways to feel really uh, included and to be a part of a community. And so, I mean, those are things that, 
you know, again, I'm not a professional that can give you great advice, but these are things that I do uh, for myself that really help me kind of make sure that I'm mentally where I want to be and that I'm not in, in a funk. Great advice. How about yourself, Anita? Yeah, I mean, all of these things uh, that Jeremy and Andrew are saying are so right on. I have uh, kids that are 8 and 11 years old, and I've realized my kids definitely ground me, but I think it's a lot even on kids to try to understand like their whole world has changed. They can't see their friends. They can't. And so, you know, I've had one of my kids the other day woke up in the middle of the night just crying and saying, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. And, you know, I realized that I was kind of taking for granted that he was coping and kids are resilient, but he was actually kind of looking at the news and picking up bits and pieces. And um, and so, you know, for me, I take him out biking and, uh, you know, running. If I were walking, we wear our masks and do our social distancing. But you've got to be able to do that. And I find also just getting off of social media every now and then. Sometimes the social media stuff is just, it's endless. It's relentless. And you feel like, oh, you might miss something or you're not going to be able to comment. You're on. You're not going to miss anything. <laughs> I'm not going to miss anything. And it's just, it really, I will tell you the weekends where I'm just like, I don't want to go on Twitter and I need to take a break. I find myself like mentally, I'm telling you, like just feeling better uh, for a time because it's just, it there's no end to it. And so this thing of like unplugging, I think is real and going outside. Um, it's really important. So these are some of the things that I do. My family is very grounding for me and I try to, you know, spend quality time with them. Work can take over. Um, I've been trying to give my work team mental health days here and there. I think part of it too is just destigmatizing it. It's okay if we're having hard days. Sometimes I have hard mornings. The afternoons are better. Sometimes the evenings are hard. And you just have to, I think it's important to talk about. Uh, and just, you know, for, for a lot of us, talking about mental health and being vulnerable is a little scary. But I think it's really important that folks like Andrew and Jeremy and Ukron and the NBA is actually creating space for this conversation because I think we're all dealing with a lot and it's it's important just to acknowledge it. Yeah, and I think that everybody, you know, that's watching on this platform is going to take a, a wealth of insight from all of us to, you know, help them, you know, in the midst and incorporate that in the fabric of their life and help them be better going forward. You know, this was super uh, a lot of information. Uh, so I'm, I'm so much more informed, you know, before this conversation started, I was a lot of questions that I was weary about and I just needed more insight on. So thank you for, you know, just tapping into some of those layers of the discussion that I definitely needed to hear. And Jeremy, you know, I, I have this question for you, you know, in the last few years, we've seen more representation of Asian Americans and, you know, major films and media, but clearly we still have a long way to go. Why is it so important for these platforms to be filled, you know, by that diversity? Uh, because I think uh, in many ways, um, perception is reality. And also just, it's inspiring to see like, you know, and it's, it's uh, good timing in the sense that like, Michael Jordan to me was such an impact. And, and for me, um, actually growing up, I related and was inspired by, a lot by minorities, um, but I love basketball. And so um, it wasn't just Asians. And uh, at that time, you know, I didn't have that many Asians, but Jordan was somebody that really inspired me. But then like, and that was awesome. But when Yao came along, like I remember buying nosebleed uh, 
tickets and my parents let me in and money was tight at the time, but we, I bought nosebleed tickets and I was like, just to see, just to see like in the flesh, like, hey, uh, somebody of Asian descent is on the NBA floor and that can happen. Like that gave me so much uh, inspiration. And so um, I think it's extremely important that we continue to see representation. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not, and that's one thing I want to be clear about. I'm not really just all about, only about Asian American representation, although obviously it means so much to me. It's really just about minority uh, representation and just representation of a lot of uh, people who uh, are fighting for justice. And so I think it's really, really important. And, and that's something that like for me, I didn't, again, I didn't fully understand until I went through insanity and then I had to deal with all these, like not only were these Asian jokes super lame, um, but there was also like all this like direct racism and then like this like subtle racism. And I was just like, man, this whole situation is like, that's when it became really, uh, it hit me in a different way where I was just like, okay, I was used to people calling me chink and stuff like that. And, and, and it, but then when I saw like a lot of stuff about model minorities and different things like that, and, and I started to really observe the world, I was just like, man, we need representation from so many different types of groups in so many different industries. And the more that we can continue to do that, um, the more informed and educated uh, and diverse everyone else uh, will be. And I think that's really what we're, you know, a big part of this round table is about is it's not like that we're expecting everyone to be professionals and understanding every type of culture. It's just that you're open-minded enough to be able to accept somebody who's different from you and to understand that because somebody is just because someone's different from you doesn't mean that you're better than them um, and that people do deserve uh the same level of love and care. Um, and I think that's, again, uh, sorry to, to go so long, but that comes back to representation. It's important that you have that evaluation, bro. You know, don't think that you need to trim your thoughts to tell your truth. You know what I mean? Like, this is what this platform is all about. Andrew, I got to ask you this question again, just for safekeeping. Uh, we've all seen the headlines about the rise in anti-Asian racism discrimination and acts of violence. Help us understand what's going on uh, in, with Asian American community and you know what we can actually do to help and how can we get through this? Thanks, Karan. If you want to help or educate yourself about racism against the Asian American community in particular, go to allamericans.us. Uh, we have a set of resources there and we have uh, some designer gear from different designers who contributed designs just to help people, help with COVID relief. I grew up in upstate New York. Jeremy grew up in California. Asian Americans are just like any other American uh, where we're all in our homes, anxious about the future, concerned about what comes next. But then there's this added uh, racism on top of it, where we know that many people look at us and blame us for uh, this virus when we're nowhere near uh, you know, anything that had anything to do with a virus. And if anything, uh, like we're disproportionately on the front lines trying to help keep people alive during this time. So if you want to help, if you want to get equipped with more information, go to allamericans.us. And if you want to follow Jeremy's lead and donate to COVID relief to try and get us through this time, uh, you can do that also at allamericans.us. This is a really challenging time for the entire country. We have to come together and say, we're all one people, we're all Americans, we're all in this together, and we're gonna get through this together. That's powerful. Uh, I truly wanna thank all of you for getting up and, and 
so early from all parts of the world. I know Jeremy, you're in Beijing. Benita, you're in DC. Myself in Los Angeles. Andrew, where are you located? I'm in upstate New York right now with a family. And Vanita, I've got two young kids, too, who are four and seven. So hats off to you. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, and and no, it's like, you know, if, if you are a parent uh, during this time, you have at least two jobs. So, you know, like, <laughs> so I can relate. It's true. It's, yes, absolutely. I appreciate you guys for your time. I'm so more informed before I started this uh, discussion here today. So thank you again. And all of you stay safe and be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thank, you for thank you, Jeremy. And thank, thank you to you. the NBA for hosting this. You guys are awesome. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. And I'm a fan in part because you do tremendous work on and off the court. So thank you, Karan. Hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. You too, Jeremy. Kick ass out there. Sounds thank good. Appreciate guys. it. Good to see you guys. Thanks again. Congrats, champ. <laughs> yeah, congrats.